content warning. Please note that this episode contains depictions of violence and trauma that some may find disturbing. Now back to the show. Welcome to SYM. It's your hosts, Jeremy and Carrie. Today our fifth guest is a former Key West police officer and currently working in the private sector. During this time, he learned how important mental health played in our society. He has built partnerships with many law enforcement agencies and was successful in lowering drug overdoses, robberies, attacks on retail workers, and members of the community. He has always been driven to protect others and make changes for the better. It was after the loss of his daughter, Brianna, to suicide December 3, 2020, that Matt decided that things need to change. Matt wanted to channel his grief into something positive for the community so others would not have to suffer the way Brianna suffered and so other parents would not have to suffer the grief of having to bury a child. In 2021, Matt started putting together an awareness and fundraising event called Building Bridges for Brianna. After several weeks, Matt decided we need to build the bridge between people that need help and people that can provide help. That was when Matt realized that this cannot be an event. It needs to be a movement and expanded the organization to reach as many people as he can. He wants people to know it's okay to not be okay. We just can't stay that way. I'm proud to introduce Matt Dorgan. Are you struggling or feel lost in your thoughts with no way out? Then join us in taking control of your own mind before something or someone else will. I'm Jeremy, and with my wife and co-host Carrie, this is Surviving Your Mind. Welcome back to SYM, guys. We're here with Carrie and, of course, Matt Dorgan. How you doing? This podcast, did I say that correct? Absolutely. You got awesome. it. Okay. I, I was sweating bullets on that one. I wanted to make sure I, I pronounced it correctly. But this podcast, I have been waiting for this podcast. Um, it touches home for me. We will be discussing, you know, on the suicide topic with this and with my suicide attempt in 2009 and 2018. This is a very emotional podcast. But before we get into all of that information and Matt's story with his daughter, I want to know more about you, Matt, and where you came from. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I want to thank you guys for having me on. I mean, this is this is great. I mean, we want to we want to get the message out there about mental health. You know, we want people to know it's okay not to be okay. We just can't stay that way. And now we just got to figure out how we get those people not to stay that way and know that they need to keep fighting. You know, and mental health has, has struck me in many different levels, right? And at different times of my life, you know, I grew up here in Pennsylvania, in, in York, Pennsylvania, graduated high school and decided I was going to be a marine engineer, you know, learn how to work on boats. I love being out on the water. I worked at a marina growing up through through high school. Um, so I moved down to Key West, Florida, you know, to go to marine engineering school down there because it was either there, Washington State or Maine. So I was... Uh, let me let me choose that one real quick. Uh, so, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I went down there and you know started working right away as a jet ski tour guide, which I think is one of the best jobs I could possibly have. Yeah, you know, I would go to work and flip flops, board short, no shirt on, driving around, being out in the water all day long. Uh, but then I realized I, I really needed to start growing up. 
you know, so I started, you know, taking more classes, getting that degree finished up, but I started working in some nightclubs down there. Um, and so I became real good friends with a lot of Key West police officers uh, down there. And they're like, dude, why don't you, uh, why don't you apply with us? And I've always wanted to be a police officer since I was a little kid. I was going to the academy, uh, right in Key West. You know, it was great. It was right by the water. You know, morning colors, right, watching the sunrise, Caribbean air. I mean, what's not to love about that, right? Um, exactly. I, had no, I had no idea about mental health. You know, up until I graduated the academy, I didn't experience anything. Um, farm country in Pennsylvania, living in Key West for a bunch of years, didn't know anything. Uh, it wasn't until I started FTO, and I think it was like the first or second week we got dispatched to a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Uh, the person was taken to the hospital. So we, we go to the hospital, we got to collect some evidence. You know, we got to make sure, you know, he was the one that fired the gun, bag it, bag hands, check the gunshot residue, all that good stuff. We get there and I walk into the ER. Here I am, big, bad, tough, 23 years old, just out of the academy, best shape of my life. And I had no idea what was getting ready to hit me. Um, I opened up the curtains uh, to the ER room and there he was. He, they just pronounced him deceased. Uh, they just got done working on him. Uh, his chest was wide open. So here I am seeing things that I've never experienced before in my life. Mm. And I had no idea what was going to hit me. So my knees started getting weak. You know, I, could, I couldn't do my job. I didn't know how to talk. You know, there, there was nothing I could do other than what the hell am I seeing, right? And luckily, a charge nurse, her uh, husband was a sergeant in our department. So she's seen it over and over again. You know, with new officers experiencing the same thing, she knew what was happening with me. So she came over, grabbed me, pulled me out of the room, sat me down, gave me a bottle of water, and we just started talking about it. Um, then we went outside just so I get some fresh air. Uh, my FTO officer finally found me. He was already a little upset that he, I couldn't do my job and <laughs> do my training, but he understood what I was going through. I mean, he he knew this was the first traumatic experience that I'm. I'm dealing with in 23 years, you know? Wow. I mean, it was, it, it was mind blowing. And then as my years in the police department went and even my FTO, I was handling more and more what they call Baker acts in, in Florida, which is pretty much means you're, you're locked up for a 72 hour hold just to get an evaluation see the doctor. And it's for somebody that says they're, they're going to hurt themselves. They're going to kill themselves. Um, which I think is a great program, you know, but it was amazing how many that I actually had to deal with in just that 12 weeks of FTL, you know, and then it went on even longer, you know, after that, you know, there was, there was even some times I would get calls for, for people cutting themselves. And when we get there, I mean, the whole arms wide open, you know, coming, coming at me with a knife because they want me to, to, to do their, to do what, they don't have the courage to do, you know, and do suicide by cop, you know. So we had to go through a lot of training to try to understand what we were doing, what our job was, how we can help them, you know. Yeah, that's what was my my story. I was having a PTSD episode, and I had I had two weapons with me, and I had it to the point I closed my eyes and everything else, and I wanted to do it at that time but I couldn't do it. So I turned to 
the group of police, just like you said, right. and I started waving my laser around to try to get them to do it. And, you know, fortunately it, it didn't go down that way. So I'm sorry. What does FTO stand for, for the ones that don't know? Field training officer. So it's okay. pretty much, when you're, when you're an FTO, you're, you're with a trained officer that teaches you how to pretty much do everything that you learned from the academy and puts it in the real world experiences. Okay. Right. Sounds good. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. But then it was even a couple of years later, I finally left, uh, left Key West Police Department. You know, I got in the private sector and got transferred. Um, I was with a national company, so they transferred me back to Pennsylvania. Plus, living down there, had, had a couple kids, you know, while I was down there. Living on a two-by-four mile island with 384 bars, uh, there really wasn't much to do to, to, to raise kids, right? So we're like, let's, let's go back with family. You know, so we decided to move back. And I left, I think I left in September, um, October, October or September. Um, and it was December. I got a call from one of my friends that was a Key West police officer. And she goes, hey, Matt, are you sitting down? like well yeah i just pulled up to court i gotta go in to testify and she goes well keith uh passed away this morning so keith was actually one of my best friends down there he actually got me hired onto the key west police department helped me get you know do the application you know did ride-alongs with them uh, then when we got hired we were on the same shift he was he just became a canine officer so we were doing a lot of narcotic cases that he was coming over. He needed to get his dog trained and sniffed and all that, all that good work. And I was just finding it for him. Well, unfortunately, and he was, man, he was the, he was the funniest guy. Like he was always smiles um, and always willing to help people out. You know, he, uh, right, right after FTO, my first day on the road by myself, I actually totaled a brand new patrol car. Um, I got hit. Oh. Um, my chief was not happy about it. Um, I actually uh, got hit head on by a drunk driver at 60 miles an hour. And it was one of those old Chevy Caprices and it was almost like an accordion put together. Uh, and he was one of the first officers that showed up. And then when I got dispatched from the hospital and I was home, he was over at my house every night. You know, we lived in the same apartment complex. So on his way home, he would swing by my house. Hey, what do you need? He was going to work. Hey, do you need me to go get you something before I go? If you need anything while I'm working, give me a call. You know, that, and he would always go up and beyond. And we never knew he was dealing with his inner thoughts, you know, and his inner demons. And it wasn't until he was alone in his house that he pulled out his service weapon and ended his life. You know, and that's when I realized, man, if, any, if it could affect him, that he had everything going, but nobody knew he was dealing with anything. It could affect anybody. And we got to do something to make that, make that change. You know? Wow. This, this really hits home for me because last summer was the worst point of my life. And I performed a comedy show on stage. Like nobody had a clue how much I was struggling. Um, before we left, actually, um, I put myself in outpatient treatment and I'm really glad that you're on this podcast, Matt, because the happiest people, the ones that you don't have a clue 
those are the ones that are struggling the most. Those are the ones that are most lost because we are so we're, we're hurting so bad inside that we want to make sure that everybody else is smiling and laughing and oh my gosh, like absolutely it's because I totally understand and all of the, all of the suicides that are coming out now with the comedians and the people that we like all the people that have passed away in the last year, they didn't know that they were struggling. And this is so important for us to get this information out. So just check on the ones that you think are honestly doing the absolute best, because usually those are the ones that are struggling the most and we don't have a clue. Yeah. The, the program, the diversion program that diverted me from prison, I was in that for three and a half years. And during that three and a half years with the veterans that were in there, we had a total of four suicides in three and a half years were in that program. And this program is nonstop mental health and to divert you from prison so you can still have a life. But there's just some things that take over people's minds. Mm-hmm. And that's why this podcast and the title Surviving Your Mind is is so key to living in this hell on earth, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I had I have one more thing to say and then we can continue. Um continue. I can't talk. So we actually went and spoke and it was my first time speaking in front, actually my second time speaking in front of a group of veterans. For some reason, I'm more comfortable speaking to veterans than I am anybody else, I guess, because I've advocated for this man so much. Right. Um, we went and spoke in front of these veterans in the diversion program last year for men's mental health, even though there is women too, but it was, that's why they came to, or had us come, I guess, was because yeah. mental health for men. But um. I got up there and I was like, hey, you guys, like, how are you doing? You guys know me as being happy and bubbly and and all of that. But I actually wanted to take my life two days ago. Dude, they asked. Their mouths dropped. They were so freaking shocked. And I just kept going. Like, I, I didn't care. Like, this was the point where I was turning my life around and I was like, I've got to start talking about this because if people don't understand Mm -hmm. and I haven't had any suicidal thoughts since September and my life has completely changed and we're driven to do this. So, wow. That's just, I mean, people don't have a clue. So, and people don't want to talk about it either. I mean, we need to break the stigma around it. It's your, your mind is your biggest organ. If you can't get your mind in check, you need to take some time to take care of it. You know, if you if you get a cold, you call out of work, right? You, you have chest pain, you go to the doctors. Well, your mind is no different. You know, we need to make right. sure we get that right. And, you know, I I think breaking that stigma around it is, is, is big. You know, we're doing it big around here and we're noticing it nationwide too. The, the stigma is getting broken. It, the wall is coming down. But man, we, we need to explode it and really get it down. So it's it's not a shameful thing. You know, it's you're asking for help. And and our job our, our job is just to listen. You know, if that's all we can do, that's all we need to do. Right. Yeah. I hundred percent agree. Yeah. So you know, with Keith's Keith's passing, you know, that was that was one of those things that really kind of learned about it. Um I was living back up here in Pennsylvania. Now I was starting to deal with it as well. I mean, I had some instances and, and calls I was at as a police officer that I was dealing with PTSD, you know, mm-hmm. um, and just flashbacks and, 
you know, loud bangs and stuff like that were, were already kind of messing with me a little bit, you know, but I still never really kind of pieced it together that what I was actually experiencing, you know, I knew something was, something was wrong, but I wasn't reaching out at, at that point either, you know, and asking for help, you know, but then Brianna's story really kind of came in, into play. And as I was learning things with her, that's when I started piecing things together for myself. You know, so Brianna was actually born down in Key West. Um, then we kind of, when we came up here, uh, me and my ex split up when she was about six years old. Um, they ended up moving off to uh, New York uh, where they were up there. And, and some things happened up there uh, that we really, no one knew about, you know, or at least I didn't know about, you know, that was going mm-hmm. on. Um, then out of the blue, they ended up moving down to North Carolina. Um, didn't really know why, because her family was was up there. Um, but then out of the blue, when Brianna got into seventh grade, she calls me out of the blue, which was totally not normal for her. I was actually down in a conference in, in Florida, and she knew that, and she would never call me when I was at work, unless it was something really bad was happening, or she really needed me. And she just... She called me and we have, we have this code that if I don't answer the phone and you really need to talk to me, call me right back. I'll step out of the meeting and I'll answer. The phone. And that's literally what she did. So I answered the call. She goes, Hey dad, can I move in with you? I'm like, yeah, come on. Let's, let's do this. When, when do you want to come? Right. And she's like, well, we got to go up to a wedding in North Carolina or uh, New York. And then I got to go back home, get some of my stuff. And then I'll come back up. I was like, well, free. You're, you're driving right through New York. Why don't you just go to the wedding, come back. We'll go out and get you whatever you need. And then we can get some of your stuff at a later time. She goes, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So within a week of her calling me, she was pretty much moved in. You know, we were getting her, we were getting her set up. She was only coming up like a weekend, a month at that time. Well, both her and, and John. So I, we had a bedroom set up for him, but we didn't have a lot of stuff in there for him because by the time they got here, Friday night, Saturday they would be here, Sunday we'd be on the road taking them back. So we just went out and got her all the stuff that she wanted to make her a nice girl's room, which I was not the greatest person for getting that stuff because here I am, single guy, right? I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm getting. Like, dude, you want a PlayStation Four or something like that? Like, I'll, I'll throw one of those in there for you, <laughs> you know? That's um, awesome. You know, we got her enrolled in school. She was doing, man, she was doing great. She had uh, friends over all the time. I still say she was uh, trying to burn down my kitchen because they were always cooking. Um, And, of course, I got to tell you this story. I'm not sure still to this day how you can put a Supreme pizza in the oven upside down. You know. Oh, wow. but, But she did that. I was working in my office. and Luckily, I was home. And. I hear all this banging. Hey, Dad, I need your help. I'm like, oh, well, give me a minute. It's like, no, Dad, I kind of need it now. So I'm like, all right. So I go out there and I open up. She's got the oven door open, and I look in there, and here's all the stuff from a Supreme Pizza coming down all over the gas oven. And I'm like, really? Ow. I'm like, well, first thing, let's turn the oven off. So she wasn't allowed to cook for a little while. Um, she had to be kind of eased back into it. Uh, Started with uh, microwave mac and cheese. Um, and that was even a little learning curve because maybe forgot to put the water on a couple times. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, she was, she was doing great. 
I mean, she was, she was awesome. Um, but then it was one day I went down, uh, she, well, she came home one day and she went down to the garage and she hates the garage. Um, and it was probably mostly cause that's where the washer and dryer were. So she didn't like doing her, her clothes or whatever, but she went down there on her own and she usually takes our dog Mila out as soon as she walks in the door. Uh, but this day she didn't. Um, and I was upstairs, um, doing some, doing some work. I actually was working from home at the time and she came back up and then she went immediately back downstairs and did this three or four times until finally I was like, what, what is going on today? So I went downstairs just as she was getting ready to take Myla outside and she acted like everything was fine. Um, nothing was going on. Uh, she was smiling, everything. So later that night, I decided I was going to go to my friend's house and I went there for a couple hours and I came back, uh, Brianna was sleeping and I went and sat on my recliner and right next to my recliner on the end table, there was a little note and it had big letters, dad. So I'm like, oh, what's this? So I open it up and start reading it. And it was a cry for help. Um, it wasn't a suicide note, but it was just explaining everything that was going on in her life, that she was being bullied at school. Uh, she was being called fat. She didn't want to live, um, but she didn't want to hurt herself either. You know, she just really wanted someone to listen and not judge her. I was like, okay. So I went up, woke her up and brought her back downstairs. Um, I ended up calling her mom. So we started having a conversation, just trying to figure out really what was going on. And, uh, she said, yeah, dad, I went downstairs and, and went to hang myself. And I'm like, wow, okay, well, let, let's go to the hospital. Um, and I kind of th should have thought of something because when I was backing out of the garage, I saw an extension cord and a ladder off to the side. And I was like, man, I, I, I thought I put that away, but maybe I didn't. You know, and I didn't really think anything. I had no idea Brianna was even struggling uh, with anything. Uh, so we went to the hospital and she was actually admitted uh, for inpatient uh, for the first time. She was in for about three weeks. During that three weeks, we learned a lot. Uh, we learned about a sexual abuse that happened up in, in New York that a lot of the family knew that was going on. And they were blaming her and they were telling her that she was lying, um, that she's seeking attention. It's and they, they were actually scolding her and putting her in punishment for kind of outing what was what was going on. Uh, it wasn't until it was caught red-handed um, that's that's why they decided to move down to North Carolina. Um, and Brianna was pissed at me. Um, she was like, "Why is my dad letting this happen? He's former cop. Why why isn't he protecting me?" And that's when Brianna had to kind of realize. I didn't know about it. Um, during that first three weeks, law enforcement was already contacted. They were coming out to do interviews and investigations. Uh, we found out also during that time that she was, she was cutting herself. Um, in spots being a single male, I couldn't check anywhere. You know, they were doing them on her abdomen or in her thighs, under her breast. I mean, they were just doing them in spots that I couldn't check. So I wouldn't have no clue about. Um, 
but she got released and and we really thought it was it was going good and we thought we kind of maybe had it under wraps uh, but it wasn't until that following february that she came to me and goes dad i need to go to the hospital i don't want to live anymore and i was working again from home i was sitting at my desk and i go okay let's go you know didn't even question anything didn't say hey well why can we go later that you don't want to live we're going to the hospital right now you know I, I didn't even take my work phone or anything i think i was even on a meeting that when i came home the next day the meeting was still running you know I, I didn't i didn't care and that's when brianna started realizing i was on her side i wasn't gonna judge her i wasn't gonna you know scold her yell at her make her feel stupid for feeling that way it was just I got support, you know, and that's what she she really needed. That she didn't feel that she had anywhere else, um, because we had some of the bullying that was that was going on. Unfortunately, it it was almost like a cycle for the next couple of years. You know, right about every time, the same time every year, we would we would be back in the hospital. You know, but she would always come to me and goes, "Dad, I don't want to live. I want to hang myself." Okay, let's go. You know, and she would go in for a couple of weeks and we would kind of get some medicine adjusted or some other treatment, coping mechanisms, whatever else. Uh, we, we would kind of get ironed out, you know, and make it and we'd be good for, for the next year. And that's also when I would learn about when she was cutting herself because I had everything locked up in my house. Um, I, I kind of think I went maybe a little overboard, but I was trying to protect my daughter. You know, I right. had all my guns locked up in, in gun safes. I had alarm sensors on every gun safe. I had alarm sensors on every door. I had a walk-in closet door that, that had my gun safes in. That even had an alarm sensor on it. I had cameras through the whole house, motion sensors, just so I would see her moving. I know it sounds bad. I had one in her bathroom just so if she was in there and she was taking a shower and it wasn't going off, something something happened. You know, or if it was still going off, I know, okay, she, she's still good. You know, but I would learn, you know, she would go and steal razors from other people's houses. You know, she would go over to a friend's house and she would just steal razor and take that apart. But I would learn when she was doing it as I was sitting on my recliner, I would just hear a loud thud on, on the floor. And it was really her up there kicking the floor as she was cutting herself. You know, and I would learn that and I would just turn the TV off go upstairs and I would sit outside the door and we would just talk. And sometimes I would just tell her, Hey, I'm here. When you're ready to talk, I never pushed her and say, Hey, what's going on? I let her control the narrative, you know, and just with me being there and just sometimes it would just be laying in her bed so she could just cry. You know, it was little things like that. And it was never to the extent that with her cutting, that it was bad enough. We had to go to the hospital. You know, up until uh, 2020, there was only one time I had to take her to the hospital to get stitches um, because it was that bad. Um, and it was wow. just because I couldn't get it to stop bleeding, you know, overnight. So the next morning, it was still bleeding. So I said, let's go. Um, but then 2020, she got admitted back to the hospital. Uh, this would be the fourth time um, that she was in. And this place, the last place she was at was absolutely phenomenal. Um, but she got out right before Halloween because she really wanted to do Halloween. 
Uh, she loved going over to my parents for Gigi and Pop Pop, and she would just give candy out. You know, she wouldn't even walk around. She just liked making the kids smile, and she would always have this big blow-up kangaroo thing that looked like she was coming out of the front pouch, right? That's what she would wear as her as her costume, right? Um, but, man, we, we thought everything was great. You know, it was still during that, that COVID time. So John actually came up. I mean, they weren't in physical school. They were doing everything on a computer. So he decided he was going to come up for a little bit. So he came up right after she got out of the hospital. They were spending time. We were going to do Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then sometime after the new year, he was going to, you know, go back home. So we had Thanksgiving. But the last time that Brianna got out of the hospital, she really made it clear she wanted an emotional support dog. You know, we, we had a German Shepherd. Well, it was mine that she pretty much stole and, and claimed as her own. <laughs> but she really wanted that 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 puppy small dog that she could take where she needed to go. So if she was having a an episode, she would have that comfort, you know, animal because she always loved animals. Um, but we couldn't get them signed off. Everywhere she was going to psychiatrists or therapy, they said we we can't do service animals. I was like, okay, what's what's my plan? It's like, well, you can shop around, but that's going to be a couple of years before you can get into a therapist that that can do it, and you got to start from scratch. I'm like, I don't have that time. So, luckily, a friends of ours, they have uh, three triplet boys that were five, a seven year old, and they got two brand new puppies. So, I think they were a little happy. Brianna fell in love with one of them, uh, so we could we we brought that dog home. On Thanksgiving night, Emma. So I mean, it was little, little tiny puppy. It was great. Brianna was ecstatic. I think she was so excited on Thanksgiving that she forgot to bring out some of the food that she made for her pop up. Um, but it, it it was great. You know, I mean, it was everybody was together. We were having a great family time. Brianna just got out of the hospital again. We're looking forward to the next year. Um, that Saturday, we we end up putting the Christmas tree up. You know, where John and Brianna kind of did everything. They put up the, the decorations, all that. The house was starting to look like Christmas. Brianna was ecstatic. And then December 3rd happened. Um, John and Brianna were downstairs uh, doing some schoolwork. Uh, they were on the Zoom computer. I could hear them. So I, when they were on the Zoom, I pretty much just stayed upstairs and kind of did, did whatever work I could do upstairs. Um, you could hear them back and forth playing, laughing, joking around, arguing like typical brother and sister, you know, do at that time and then make up. Um, but then a little bit later, um, Brianna asked John to go upstairs. So here John comes upstairs. We were talking a little bit. Um, I went into the bathroom. As soon as I go in the bathroom, I hear a loud bang. And I had no idea what it was. John starts yelling downstairs does not get a response. I start yelling downstairs. I don't get a response. John runs downstairs. He was probably down there for about good 10 seconds, comes running back up and goes, Dad, I see smoke. So I'm like, oh, shit. What did Emma chew? So I go running downstairs thinking she just chewed the Christmas tree that we just put up for something like that. I go around the corner, and the first thing I see is, my sidearm gun case was open, the safe. 
was down. And as I go a little bit farther, I see my 1911 sitting on the on the floor. And as I look up, there's Brianna. Um, and at this point, I was a couple inches from from her head, and I knew right away there was absolutely nothing that could be done. Um, I was downstairs within 30, 30 seconds, and she was gone. So I start screaming up to John. I said, John, call 911. I go running back upstairs. I'm on the phone with 911. We go outside. And here I am in the beginning of December laying on the ground in the parking lot with jeans, shirt on, bawling my eyes out because my daughter just passed away because she felt like she had no hope left in life. And this was her only way out. I had no idea what was going on. It wasn't until law enforcement showed up that I kind of started piecing things together. Still, it's still a little fuzzy, you know, for me, but I knew she was gone, but I still asked them, you know, I said, is she gone? And they just kind of did the, the head nod, you know, to me. And they all knew me before that, you know, they all knew I was former law enforcement. They, they all knew Brianna's story because they all had interactions with them. You know, but those officers, the way they treated me, I mean, they went in and got me a coat. I mean, they went in first and did what they got to do. You know, they got to go and find her, confirm everything that I told them. But then they immediately brought me back out shoes, a coat, got a coat for John, got the dogs out. I mean, they stood outside with both dogs for a little while, you know, but they went up and beyond that. You know, they were asking questions that I answered already three times. You know, and the last time they said, hey, Matt, let's go walk down the, in the field next door and let's just go talk. I knew exactly what they were doing. The coroner just arrived. You know, they were trying to get me away so I wouldn't see Brianna's body being removed from the house for the last time. You know, and I just turned around and looked at them and I said, guys, I know what you're doing and thank you. And I just thanked them for that. And it was Coming up later is when I learned that they were CIT trained officers, crisis intervention trained officers. So they knew what to do. They knew about mental health and, and how to fix that. But now I got really pissed after that. You know, I had, I had to move out of the out of the house. There's no way I could stay in the house. I, I, I personally could not go in that house without having horrible thoughts myself. You know, I, I felt like I let my daughter down. I was the one at fault. I was the failure. You know, I, I didn't want to move on any, any longer either, you know. Um, but we go up and we start cleaning up uh, her room. And as we started un pulling out drawers, we were finding note after note after note written, you know. And it was explaining everything about how could family treat her this way? Why wouldn't they ever believe me? Why are people calling me fat? Why are they calling me an attention getter? Um, and why are they telling me to put a gun against my head and pull the trigger? Why are we doing that when these are supposed to be her friends? You know, I just, and unfortunately that's what she did. You know, she, she never could get out of all this stuff because when they were calling her an attention getter, they were calling her fat, they were calling her ugly. That's the exact same things that were being said to her when she was six years old going through the sexual abuse. You know, and then when people aren't believing her that she wants to end her life, it was the same thing that was going on when she was six years old, screaming for help, and nobody was helping her. 
you know, mm-hmm. that's what we need to change. And that's where I kind of was sitting in her, the floor of her room with all my friends coming over to help me pack the house up. You know, that I, I was in that, that phase and that fuzz of couldn't, couldn't focus on anything. Right. And we were reading all these notes and then I found a shirt in the closet that I, I, I just, I keep on getting blown away by, you know, I, I know the viewers can't see, but I'll, I'll show you guys. This is actually her shirt, you know, and, and it's a simple message. It just says, keep fighting. I believe in you. You are a star, you know, and it has the semicolon in the fighting instead of the I. And it turned out she actually made that in eighth grade when she got out of the hospital for the first time. And I, I sat there and, and read that. And I said, guys, we need to do something. We need them. We, I, I don't know what that is. I had no idea what that was going to look like, but we need to do something. And we all just start talking and agreeing because everybody there sitting in Brianna's room had suicide experiences where they lost family members. They lost loved ones. They lost husbands. You know, everybody had some sort of tie and connection to it. And it, it just kind of turned into, but we can't, we can't connect those people. There isn't that connection out there. How do we connect that? How do we build the bridge? And as soon as we said that, I go, guys, that's exactly what we need to do. Mm-hmm. We need to build the bridge between the people that can give help to the people that can give help. That's what we need to, to, to make change. And we need to do it for Brianna. You know, and we all were in 110% you know, agreements to do that. So Brianna passed away December 3rd, 2020. Um, I wanted to scream it from the top of my lungs. We actually formed Building Bridges for Brianna on December 27th, 2020. Wow. We, we, wow. we didn't, we didn't wait, you know. Um, I'm glad you guys didn't wait because if you waited any longer, who would have known what mental health state you would have kept going down? So it's kind of like what we talked about on another podcast, you know, five, four, three, two, one, that, that Mel Robbins tells us mm-hmm. is you just got to kind of act like really quick on it. And absolutely. I commend you. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate it. I mean, I mean, I, I still went down a dark road, you know, even after forming this, you know, that I really had to kind of be pulled out of it. And if it wasn't for my team, uh, my now fiance, you know, I would, I would not be here. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, we, we formed the, the first thing we did was a small event and we were just going to do it as a memorial, right? A couple food trucks, a couple bands, maybe some vendors, maybe we'll do some raffles, donate the money to organization. We were blown away. We had 1500 people that showed up, uh, the first year, uh, we had over 130 motorcycles in our uh, motorcycle memorial ride that was law enforcement escorted. I mean, everybody came out. Everybody was talking about mental health. You couldn't go anywhere without mental health being the topic of conversation, right? So when I even got home that night, I opened up Facebook and I said, I was going through my messages. I spent an hour and a half on Facebook Messenger responding back to people that they were just thanking us for for putting this on, having mental health organizations there, that they heard stories and realized, ooh, Maybe I need to talk to somebody. And they went over and actually had appointments scheduled to get in to be seen, you know. So I knew we were definitely impacting. But I was talking uh, 
to a lot of people on Facebook, they were thinking again. And we had this event in June. And that's when I kind of realized this does not need to be a single event. This actually needs to be more of an organization and a movement in the community. You know, we need to break the stigma, let people know it's okay not to be okay. Mm-hmm. We just can't stay that way. So I was like, we, we, need to, we need to start doing some other stuff. You know, so September is Suicide Awareness Month. So I was like, last week of August, I'm like, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. What, what can we do? So I was talking with Amber. We were sitting on my on my couch. I was like, you know what? They always put blue lights out for law enforcement, green lights out for military, pink for cancer. Brianna always had a purple light bulb mm-hmm. in her window all the time that people knew that they felt safe when they got home. They always remembered seeing that light. I said, purple's also suicide awareness colors too. Why don't we put purple light bulbs out? And let's just... I'll get a couple off Amazon, see what we can do, but we can start changing them in the community. So I ordered like 10 of them, you know, off of Amazon. Doing it kind of real simple, old school. We're not not that big yet, right? So I ordered 10 of them, put them on Facebook, sold out of them within like five minutes of having them up there. Like people were just buying them. So I was like, well, let me order 10 more and see if that was just a fluke. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, I'm buying 25 and 50 at a time. We ended up selling 385 bulbs. Um, just uh-huh. in a week we used to drive around and we still see them up like there's there's a couple or a house that if you look out my kitchen through the woods you can see the purple light bulbs you know through i mean they're still all over the place so i mean there's times i'm in my kitchen and i just feel really down and in the clumps and i just kind of look up and there's the purple light bulb i'm like yep that, that we are doing something so let, let's keep it going but i was always wondering i'm go big go home that that's my mentality you know, we need to change this, change it now. I'm like, is really a purple light bulb really going to make a difference to anybody? And it wasn't until halfway through the month that I got a phone call from somebody that helped with uh, some of that CIT training that said he was in his house. He got a knock on the front door that somebody was following us on Facebook, knew what the purple light bulbs meant, and they were on their way to end their life and decided they saw the purple light bulb, stopped, went mm-hmm. and asked for help. And luckily with him being CIT trained, he knew exactly what to do. And I go, you know what? Then yes, the purple light bulbs need to stay. You know, so we kind of put that out there. People are doing it. We've done the June event, multiple year. We're actually getting ready to plan um, the third annual uh, one this year. That's even looking like it's getting bigger and bigger. Um, and, and we do just a lot of the things in the community to kind of make sure, A, resources are there. Because when I was a single father, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, hey, I was trying to protect my daughter, raise my son, work. You know, I'm learning all these organizations that if I would have known about them at, during that time, might not have had the same in, impact, you know, or outcome, but it probably would have helped a little bit, you know, and just trying to connect those people and fund some of the organizations. You know, and then as, as we started this, I started talking to people. I was like, well, yeah, well, I'm going to therapy, but I had to really scale it back because I can't afford it. You know, or we've had some mm-hmm. uh, military members around here that nobody around here takes TRICARE, you know, unfortunately. So we, they would have to go two towns over, which you're talking 40 minute an hour drive to get their kid into the therapy, you know, because they can't afford, you know, to pay out of pocket. Well, we'll, we'll cover that. You know, we'll, we'll pay for the therapy for a little while. We might not be able to do it permanently ongoing, but we'll pay for it or pay for the medication. 
you know, so people stop taking their medicine because they can't afford it because they maybe don't have insurance. Well, the medication is going to help. So we'll, we'll pay for it. We'll pay for coping mechanisms. You know, if they need headphones to listen to music, you know, they want an Apple's gift card to get some new music or whatever, drawing stuff, woodworking stuff. Mm -hmm. Like we'll help get that to get your mind on it because, you know, music was phenomenal for me. You know, this couple on TikTok really helped out too a little bit. You know, when I hit my darkest, you know, (laughs) darkest time, I don't know who those guys might be or anything. Um, but I still remember the, one of the first times I turned TikTok back on, right? And like I kept on it for a while, off it for a while because right, right after Brianna's passing, I went on it, and the first couple of videos were Brianna's, and I'm just like I couldn't see it because we always had challenges: who's going to get the most followers or likes, all that stuff. And she was always getting annoyed that her dad was beating her, you know, on stuff. And uh, the, one of the first videos, I was really in a dark spot. You know, I was being called an attention getter. I was being called a drunk that the only reason I'm doing this is just so my name is in limelight, you know, that I was actually going to, you know, clean up the park after that first year event. And I was just going to fade away. You know, nobody was going to hear from me again. I was just going to call it done. I was just going to go be with Brie. You know, it wasn't until some of these other things happened. And then my team knew it. They, they knew I was not joking. I was not laughing. I wasn't reti- returning text messages, phone calls all that, that they knew something was up and they knew I was heading over to the park to clean it up. But I told everybody, I just want to do it by myself. You know, I wanted to be alone in the park. I wanted to go down in the woods, be by myself. They all showed up, you know, and they all talked to me and said, they they were pretty frank about it. Like Matt, stop being an ass. You know what you're doing is helping other people. Let's, let's continue to do it. We don't need you gone either. You know, and it it was a couple of days after that, I kind of realized, yeah, I, I definitely do need some help. And I was already in therapy. I was in therapy probably the day after Brianna's passing. You know, an organization got me in to see that, to see a therapist. Still going to this day. You know, it's a couple of years later and I'm still, still being seen, still dealing with it. You know, it, it's, it's one of those things that's never going to go away. You know, because unfortunately we, me and John lived it. You know, we heard this, the sound. I mean, I, I couldn't shoot a gun and I was an avid shooter. I couldn't shoot a gun until, I mean, it was a, it's been a couple months ago. You know, I couldn't even hear the loud bang. And, you know, I could smell gun smoke for weeks after it. You know, now it still bothers me. I, I mean, I can still go, but I've actually finally started pulling the trigger again. Horrible at shooting again, uh, because that's probably a couple of years from, from doing it. But, you know, but we're just really trying to get the community together to understand that they're not alone and they need to keep fighting. You know, and if I can do anything, you know, public speaking, going out and talking to people and, you know, work with other organizations, you know, that's, that's really what I want to get done. I want to get Brianna's story out a little bit of my story. So people understand what it's like dealing with a mental health issue that you would never know it. I mean, Brianna wanted to help everybody. That's all she cared about making people laugh. She, she always put her own emotions to the side to make sure everybody else was, was laughing. You know, she would always help people. She didn't care what she was dealing with. If somebody called up and said, hey, I need help, she'd be, hey, dad, can you take me over to somebody's house? I need to go give him a hand for a little bit. That's what she would do. I mean, perfect example is we were, we were grocery shopping one time, and this makes me sound like a bad dad. I turn around, I can't find Brianna, you know, and here she is in the next aisle over pushing an elderly couple shopping cart, picking up their groceries. So I finally figured out what was going on. I walk up there and I was like, 
all right, Bree, you finish that up. I'll finish shopping. I'll meet you outside. And about a half hour later, here I am sitting in the car. She's coming, pushing the cart out, loads up all the groceries in their trunk, puts the cart in the little bin out in the parking lot, gets back in. We don't say a word and we just drive off. That's the kind of person Brianna was, you know, and just for her to go through it. I don't, I don't want anybody else to go through it. You know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have a father have to, to deal with finding their, their, their kid, you know, you know, passed away because they felt like they have no hope. So in honor of Brianna, the light bulb that we have will be purple with the brain inside. I think, I mean, your story is so powerful and it touches my heart because I have the story for myself that was on the side of Brianna and feeling alone, but still showing up to your family and your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel what she was going through and to hear your side of the story, it hits home even more because during my seven and a half hour standoff, Carrie was in the back of the cop car and there was a total of seven gunshots over a seven hour, seven and a half hour period. There was seven gunshots. And I can't imagine the feeling that you and Carrie went through because Carrie thought seven times that's it. And the amount, I don't know why people are so afraid of mental health and why they're so afraid of getting better because yes, you feel vulnerable when you become sober or you start talking about mental health and yes, you know, you want to cry, you want to scream, but you can't heal unless you feel. You have to feel in order to heal. And that's what we want. We want to see other people's perspectives, how they've healed, resources, um, not only just to, to get out to the public and to the viewers, but for me and Carrie to try as well. We struggle, right? You're still in therapy? Absolutely. Um, one of our last persons that we interviewed, Christy Shea, beautifully broken, 44. She said it perfectly. She said, mental health and your healing um, is a journey. It's not a destination, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, there's times that I used to wake up and I would be stuck in the victim mentality of thinking that I couldn't go on. And I finally have faith and hope and a strong foundation of, you know, like our, our faith and what we believe in, but I've never had that my whole life. So until recently, um, I haven't had anything to turn back to, um, other than the belief system of faith. So when you were a cop, did you fully retire or did you chose to? I chose to to leave. I I left after about six years. Yeah, you know, just good terms. We were we were all fine. It just realized it wasn't the life for me anymore. Right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. So I mean, it's a little different being on a two by four mile island. I mean, we had a hundred and thirty some officers. You know, in that and they had everything from boat races to a thing called Fantasy Fest, which is just like Mardi Gras but a little smaller. Um, <laughs> it was a uh, it, it it was very interesting. I mean, I actually called officer down one time, and usually. You get back up within a couple minutes. It, it was a good wait before we could finally get there because they have most of the streets blocked off. So wow, yeah, that sounds fun but crazy all <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> and then, and then you got a month worth of college kids that come down for spring break. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that that was that was never fun. (laughs) No, no, thank you. Oh, that was oh yeah, in Florida. I actually have my best friend. She lives in um, Daytona, and man, the stories we get from all the festivals and things that Florida does, like Oklahoma, does not do stuff like that. We're like, what? Y'all have like something every weekend? Like, what is this? Oh yeah, it was every week. Yeah, every week. Yeah, I lived in uh, West Palm Beach for quite a while. I hated it. I did not like it down there. Yeah. It was all the, what, what do they call it from up north down in Florida? They're called the uh, snowbirds. 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 Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love, I love the water. I love going out spearfishing, you know, doing all that stuff. I mean, that was the best of both worlds, shooting a gun and being underwater diving at the same time, you know, oh. getting lobster. Oh, man, I'm mm. hungry for food from down there. For real. <laughs> that sounds so good. <laughs> I got another question about your building bridges. I know you say you do public speaking. Do you guys go to schools, churches, or like what speaking events do you do? Or do you also have training associated with your organization? Right. So yes to all that. Um, so I have actually done a couple keynote speeches. Um, we actually just had one uh, last year of CIT International, um, their national conference. So Actually, international because they had some people from Philippines and England and some Australia was actually there. So it was in front of about 1,500 people, uh, which was very nerve wracking getting up there um, in, in front of that many people at one time. Um, yeah. But I know at like April, I'm going out to uh, NAMI, which is a national organization for mental health. Uh, they provide a lot of free. Uh, workshops and support groups and stuff like that. They're doing their CIT uh, conference for Ohio. Um, and they asked me to come out and be the keynote speaker, you know, for that. So I do a lot of those, you know, keynote speeches and just kind of really t- tell the Brianna story and how mental health can impact even a police officer. You know, we also do speaking at schools. Uh, we've just done a couple in, in, in our local areas in the last couple months that we open open nights to have the students come out, learn about different organizations that that can provide resources. So um, we have our mental health uh, team here um, in, in York. They join me in, in a couple of them. So they share share all their resources. Then we have, you know, NAMI would be there. They would have a table. We, and then whatever organization can provide the, the therapy, because we do a lot of in-school therapy um, out here in Pennsylvania. So the student can step away from a class, see a therapist, and it doesn't really impact the parents having to take them, take out of work, all that. It kind of is the best of both worlds, right? So we find out what organization actually provides that for that school district, and we bring them out too, so they can also talk about their program. You know, so it's, it's a lot of different things we do, and we're just starting to get into churches where, where we're, we're doing them for the congregation. And they can learn about it as well. That is That's amazing. Phenomenal. Are you mainly the one that does all the speaking with, or do you have a team of? Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's mainly me. Um, okay. A, a lot of them have stories, but they they tried it, and they said, Matt, we're not getting the impact as when you do it. So they're mm-hmm. like, you you need to you need to be the one. So I keep saying wow in this story, and it's just because. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean. I feel like God just keeps putting people in our paths and, and our like us and people's paths. So Jeremy is very interested in being a suicide prevention speaker. 
Um, it's something that he's been interested in since 2018, but it's just having the means and then figuring out like where he needs to go to speak. So if that's something that I mean, you're interested in, that would be awesome for you guys to team up and hey, see what we you, can accomplish. You can, if you can come out to PA in June, we'll have a stage in front of about 2,500 people. We're looking for some speakers. Okay. We're definitely interested in that. We're, <laughs> we've been yeah, trying to like turn our wheels to figure out like, how can we get out there? Cause that's, that sounds amazing. And we've always wanted to go up to the Eastern state. So. Yeah. I'm all about this mental health thing mm-hmm. and, and what you guys stand for and, and what you're putting out. Um, I believe. I would love to say something. Path, yeah. And I know. We all love... have the same goal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was, I was circling back to the, okay. the purple lights. I want to be able to, um, so do you do that like every month? Do you just do it the month of September? September, and we were looking about reactivating our link again. We actually have a link where people can order them. Um, just been kind of figuring out how does that look? Where does it go? Who helps us push it? So once again, I think people are put in our path for for different reasons. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're up to making that active again, like I am all for it. I will plaster that itch every which way because mental health isn't something that needs to just be talked about in September. It needs to be talked about on a daily basis. And I absolutely love the purple light. Like Jeremy's actually wearing his his suicide prevention shirt today with the purple ribbon that y'all can't see, but well, we're gonna show yeah. him. Anyway, it's there. <laughs> You don't face your demons alone. So. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, and as and as Brianna says, you know, you got to keep fighting. I mean, we, we need to believe in them because everybody's a star. Everybody has something that they're dealing with. Everybody. If, if if people say they don't or they know somebody that or they don't know anybody that's dealing with it, I hate to say it, but they're probably lying because everybody is dealing with something. They have something going on in their back pocket and we just got to deal with it. You know, and so I something that was really interesting the other day. So um, I'm all science based. Like I, I've really been digging into this healing stuff and trying to figure it out because I was the girl that's had too many apps running in her mind since my dad passed away when I was a freshman in high school. Um, I never could self-regulate. And what it means is when people want to take their lives they're so overwhelmed in that moment, their nervous system doesn't know how to calm down. And we actually just had an episode that we recorded this past Wednesday that Jeremy busted his ass to get out. And it is absolutely phenomenal about breath work and the breath technique and how to calm your nervous system down. Um, I have physically stopped myself from going into a complete panic attack by doing this breathing work. Um, she actually has a free download. It's only a seven minute clip. Um, she walks you through it on how to do it. Um, she had to do it actually on our live podcast last Wednesday to get calmed down because, um, I've never been taught. Like I've, I had, I grew up in an alcoholic family, very emotionally and verbally abusive mother, um, and parent where they were just emotionally immature. So I was never taught to calm myself down. So when I would get upset, it was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what is happening? And I'm like, exactly. Like now that I know, and I I'm calm, I'm like, 
oh my gosh, like I never was grabbed and like, oh, you poor thing. Like, let's work through this. It was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Until I was 36 years old, years old. And until literally just a few months ago, I couldn't calm myself down. But the breathing techniques and the breathe work is the most astounding information I have ever received. And if I can myself down, yeah, like I would love for you to have that information. um, Absolutely. Yeah. I'll see if I can connect with her and see if she's okay. If I put it on our, our website as a resource link. Absolutely. She actually is going to go and this, this blew my mind. So she's actually going to go train Marines in the United States Marine Corps to go learn how to breathe. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Pretty like I, I, yeah, it really was like, I was like, wait, like, yeah, I think so she's people, going to Camp Lejeune. Yeah. Camp Lejeune. She's wow. going like, I was just like, wow. So people like people have all of these belief systems that were put in place when we were younger, but nobody has taught us how to do so. So like, remember, like if you're in a doctor's office and they'll be like, breathe. Okay, cool. But how do you breathe? You're breathing correctly. Actually, you're supposed to be breathing in through your stomach, like a balloon where it inflates out. And then when you exhale your air, then it goes away and it sinks back in. I've been breathing backwards my whole life. Yeah, most of us breathe with our chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm doing. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's my chest. Uh-huh. So your stomach has more neurons than like your brain and your heart or whatever put together. So that's why when they say the gut filling or follow your gut instincts, it's because you can fill it more in your stomach. But the breathing, that's why when you breathe and you breathe into your stomach, you can displace a lot more of the traumatic events or the anxiety attack or anything else, you can move it and kind of like live within your heart or your lungs or whatever. And don't be alarmed if the first time you try it, you're yawning and want to go to sleep and you don't make it all the way through. Cause that's me. I'm, when I get to breathing right, I'm tired. Yeah. Like we, we, I did it before. Um, I've actually been doing the breathe work, the seven minute one every single day. Um, and I'm, I'm very calm on the outside, but I can definitely feel my trauma. Like it feels like electric bolts are like jumping throughout my body oh, and wow. that's my nervous system. So that's how you calm it down. Another thing that I had a, a question or something I wanted you to know is you said every year, um, sorry, I'm shaking telling you this every year you said Brianna would get worse or get bad around the same time every year. And that's because her nervous system has trapped that feeling inside of her. So every year that trauma response would come up and that's what that was. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm so interested for you to learn the breathing and see what it can do for you and see if it could help any. um, Oh yeah. I would love to, because I mean, there's times I, I start getting in a mental state and I'll start pacing, you know, and, and Amber will know it. Like I'll just get up and I'll just start pacing around or, can't sit still like hey let's go watch a movie and we'll sit down there and like 10 minutes into it i gotta be up doing something else you know yeah until i can calm down then i'll go down sit down we'll finish watching the movie or i'll just be in the other room watching it from the living room into the or dining room into the living room you know 
they're definitely looking for other techniques as well. Heck yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see next time you're feeling that way. Cause that's what Jeremy does. It's he'll pace. He'll walk around in circles. He's like, I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. Like what is happening? And it's because his outside body has caught up. He's calm, but his nervous system is what we need to get calmed down. So now the breathing, like, I mean, it, it it's just been like a domino effect of me figuring out this whole breathing thing. So it started about a month ago. We listened to a podcast that was talking about neuropathways and how to self-regulate was so important. So I've been, when Jeremy is upset, I'll just go in and stand next to him and I'll put my hand on his chest and his back. Come to find out, we learned in the podcast this week, that is your heart chakra. That is what's controlling your nervous system. Oh, wow. So the reason why that works is because when I go put my hand on his heart chakra and I'm breathing with him, he starts breathing and regulating. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. But I couldn't do it to myself. I never figured out like, like, wait, breathing works for me too, but I've never had anybody come up to me and help me do that. Right. So during the episode, um, I was, they were starting to talk again and she was talking about something and then something inside of me was like, I need to ask her for help. And so I was like, Allie, like something is wrong. I need help. Like I can't, I can't regulate. Like my body was starting to shake. Jeremy had to put his hand on my leg. Um, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack and she just started helping me through it. And all of a sudden my lungs just let go in my, in my everything dropped. And I was like, Oh my gosh, did y'all see that? Like, she goes, that's your trauma escaping. Oh, wow. Like what? Like, and I really fully believe. So you know how people will talk about like chopping your hair off for trauma release. Cause your mm -hmm. trauma is in. like, that is a very um, true thing, but it depends on how you set up your intentions for you to cut your hair. So if you just go in and cut your hair off and move on with life, that's has nothing to do with releasing your trauma. It's all about the intention and the breathing and letting it go. Um, you're just gonna have to experience it yourself. I'm super excited. <laughs> no, I can't wait to try it. I think it's going to be good. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And guys. Um... Oh, I had one more question for him. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so this relates to Jeremy's story. Um, so when people call in a traumatic event to the police station or 911 and it's a military member and they're in need, who decides if they call the CIT group or if they call the regular group? Because I've always wondered how come we got this group of individuals that had no idea what to do with my husband? So, I mean, it really depends on the department you know, in the surrounding area, like, are they CIT trained? You know, a lot of the first responders in our area, the dispatchers know that if somebody's calling in, hey, I'm in a mental health crisis, they'll actually contact the department and try to get a CIT officer. Plus, we also have, uh, they're called co-responders. They're actually assigned to the departments that if there is a mental health issue, they're pretty much dispatched too. They're not police officers, but they know what to do in the area, you know, so a lot of times if they are trained and they're, they're RCIT officers, they will be dispatched. Um, but some departments, they don't have anybody. Um, there's a couple in our area that they send like one or two, maybe a year to go through it. Uh, there's other departments that every single officer gets it. 
you know, and get strained. I, I know uh, Key West, I was talking to the chief down there, and he goes, every one of mine is CIT strained. But then he talked to other departments, and they're like, what's CIT? They they, they don't even know. And, and I think it's one of the, the best programs out there, you know, mm-hmm. for law enforcement, because um, it really kind of helps them, you know, understand, you know, and then we actually kind of created uh, their wristbands um, that are actually to say CIT on them, right? Oh, wow. And the, okay. the idea behind those is the officers, once they're trained, they wear one, right? And then if somebody wants one that's dealing with a mental health issue, they can also wear one. So now me and Jeremy have always wondered why they don't have wristbands. Like this is another thing we need to push. Holy shit. Like seriously, God's gifting. We have always wondered like, oh my gosh. There's the wristband right there. So you can kind of see. I love it. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're nice, stretchy. They're durable. Um, so we're kind of getting those to departments. They're being used a lot down around here. Um, but the idea behind it is, is it builds that bond right away. So if an officer shows up, sees that wristband on, okay, maybe this is somebody dealing with a mental health condition right now. You know, maybe we got to handle it a little differently. They're not trying to, you know, commit suicide. Maybe they just need help talk down, something like that. But then the the person wearing it sees the officer wearing the CIT wristband. You kind of get that bond right off the right off the bat, you know, mm-hmm. for it. Wow, that so, I love this. Woo, this yeah, is exciting. So, so the poll that came in with me was a neighbor. They actually called it in as a domestic. So when they showed up and they removed Carrie from the home, um, and she never came back, that's when I flipped out. However when they got her story about me and when they realized that I wasn't going to hurt anybody else, they didn't call in a team like that. They called in the SWAT team and then the SWAT team came in and they made it completely worse. However, they blew my whole house up, Matt. They caused over $65,000 in damage. I had one window remaining in my house. I did not have a front door. Um, it was it was one of the most traumatic experiences. My kids weren't there. Um, my stepson was gone. I actually got him out of the house before Jeremy even knew he was having an episode or before I even knew. Like, I just knew something was off. But to walk back into my home, and I mean, literally, they blew my front door off. All of our furniture was flipped from a robot going inside of our home. It was like, I mean, I had news stations pulling up, trying to record. My sister came and she was laying on the horn. So I wasn't getting recorded. Like it was the most traumatic, probably one of the most traumatic days that I've had. Yeah, they they had hit me. I was standing up by the front door, kind of behind some bushes. And I was raising the 380. And I remember this excruciating pain on the outside of my elbow kind of on the top of my arm mm-hmm. and I looked down I still got the scar but they're shooting non-lethals at me so I had got hit with the non-lethals well I had dropped to the ground dropped the weapons and I started waving my hand in the air to me it felt like I was waving for an hour but it was probably only a few seconds I was waving I was trying to tell him I was done like 
I'm shot. Like, cause I thought I really got shot in my arm. Right. And no, nobody came. So since nobody came, it infuriated me. So I picked up the weapons. I went into the house and I can't tell you what happened after that because I blacked out. I was completely passed out. Next thing I know, I woke up at around 5 a.m. in the shower coughing and choking. I couldn't breathe. There was so much gas inside that house. And I just feel that there needs to be more training. I think every officer that is put in the position to police a community Mm -hmm. needs to have every training aspect under their belt other than just a gun and a taser. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's great seeing some of the academies and some of the agencies and some of the states making it mandatory training to to go through it. That's where we got to break that stigma in all communities and all areas to let let's get more trained. I mean, we have we have a county right next to ours, very minimal trained. You know, right. we're trying to change that. You know, and we're starting to get in there and going to meet with some of the police chiefs and really start talking. And, you know, they want to hear from my side, being former law enforcement, now kind of going through everything. How can we use the tools in our toolbox to really help the community better? You know, not locking Mm -hmm. people up or doing something we probably shouldn't have done because we weren't trained enough. Right. I feel like that we are made to believe that we're supposed to ask people like what's wrong with you when it's what's happened to you. Like if we can start looking at people, like even people that are addicts or people that have issues in public, like I've totally changed my mindset because of mental health. And I'm like, Oh, you poor thing. Like what's happened to you? Like, and I used to I mean, I used to not be a very nice person. I used to be like, oh my gosh, like what's wrong with them? And it's just totally have changed my mindset. I'm just like, oh, what's happened to you? Right. Oh, it just breaks my heart. We're going to move mountains, Matt. Do you oh, have absolutely. any idea? We've been, but we haven't had the action until you. We, I mean, me and Jeremy were like, why don't they have wristbands? Why? How can we push this? How can we? And again, everything is falling into place. Like CIT is exactly what we've been looking for and any way we can help push that to get this started. Like I, I am on, I'm all on board for this too. Like this is phenomenal stuff. Absolutely. The quote quote I have on my website, one of the quotes that says it only takes one voice at the right pitch to cause an avalanche. Yep. And Mm -hmm. that is so true. It takes one voice. Loud, Matt. I'm really, really loud. And I really want this to go somewhere. Like I've literally been waiting for this and I don't know why I've waited. I should have acted, but I, I haven't had the confidence to do so until now. Um, things are changing in this world. Like this year, I can feel it. Yep. 2023 is going to be the year. It really is. Like we're getting out there to in June. I don't know how. I like on a magic carpet for all I know, but like <laughs> somehow, somehow we're getting out there. Wow. What an amazing interview today. Absolutely. Yeah, you're an amazing person. You're an amazing person. Amazing yeah. story. Um was there anything else that you wanted to put out? No. I mean I I think we're good. I mean and, and you guys just being so open with your guys' story too. I mean that's that's the same thing. I mean obviously I've seen you guys on TikTok all that time and it just something happened and we go made me go look at your links 
and it was the night I sent you guys the first email. And then I started to listen to the one, the podcast that you already have out there. And I'm like, oh my God, like these guys helped me initially right after Brianna's passing just to laugh again and carry on, you know, and I've been following a lot of the different stuff, you know, that's going on, but then seeing the, the podcast and it's almost around the same time we started our podcast, you know, that's on YouTube now that it almost mapped up and I'm like, I, I got to reach out. I was like, worst they can say is no. And then as Jeremy, me and you were talking, I mean, we're so similar ourselves, you know, with our backgrounds and what's going on with us and the jokingness and the dad jokes and all that stuff, you know, <laughs> you know, I just, I, I think, I think we're going to be able to move mountains together, you know, and I'm just, I really, really appreciate, appreciate you guys and sharing your story as well. It, it's what we need to do so we can break the stigma. Absolutely. absolutely. Wow. This is great. Woo. Yes, absolutely. And guys, um, Matt's profile will be featured on the website for the whole month of March. The link for building bridges for Brianna will permanently be staying on the website. So you guys will constantly have access to that. They have multiple different resources to help with the community as well as information. And like he said, they just started a podcast and aren't you guys posting your videos on there as well? Yep. The videos are going to be posted on there as well as YouTube. If you just type in building bridges for Brianna, it'll come up. I think we got five or six of them up there now. Awesome. Awesome. The unimaginable with Matt Dorgan guys, this story, his life is absolutely powerful. Matt, thank you again for sharing your story your life, your pain. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Talk soon. Remember life doesn't have a handbook. When you're made to feel you're living your life wrong, how do we not know they're living their life wrong? We don't stop being critical of yourself and just be you. you.